you're a great professional, but tell me you're going to get absolutely rotten tonight, like me. <laughs> Possibly. Oh, Come on, Jordan, go for it, lad. Enjoy yourself. Cheers, hey! Cheers. So Jurgen Klopp said it looked like we lost the plot, but surely Liverpool are still the team to beat in the Premier League despite the Villa debacle. Uh, sifting through the aftermath, we have Simon Hughes, James Pearce, and Kiva O'Neill. We'll also have a look at transfer deadline day and assess which clubs have come out on top. And there's a derby in the not too distant future. We may touch on it. It's got to be Simon Hughes to kick this one <laughs> off. His uh, his catchphrase ever since we started this pod has been. Villa away. So, Sai, take it away. Well, thanks for coming to me first, Steve. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, it, it, <laughs> it's a, it's an understatement to say it was a bad night, wasn't it? I mean, I know the last uh, last couple of days, there's been a lot of finger pointing at what went wrong and who's responsible for it. But I think when you concede seven goals, uh, it's not just one thing that's gone wrong. I mean, back to front. I mean, obviously, when you when you concede that number of goals, there's, there's going to be a lot of focus on on the defence. But I mean, I, I sort of felt it, it wasn't right further up the pitch from from minute one. Really, I mean, again, I'm not just pointing fingers at one person, but I sort of felt that Firmino hasn't been quite on it this season yet. And you know, when the ball keeps coming straight back all the time. Liverpool weren't able to keep the ball, and for, yeah, just just when you when you can see the goal so early, like they did, you know, you're on the back foot straight away. I, mean, I actually thought for part of the first half, you know, the little pockets going going forward in the wide areas, Liverpool looked all right and quite promising. But obviously, they didn't take the chances when they came their way. But yeah, I mean, there's 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 an element of if it just being an absolutely ridiculous scoreline in the sense that if Liverpool had lost four one or five one. You know, you could have been a bit more sort of angry about it, whereas it was just afterwards. I, I just felt it was it was sort of it felt ridiculous, didn't it? And I think when the the other team scores three goals from outside the box, which have taken deflections, right? One of them was just inside the box, but twenty yards plus. You know, there's an element of calamity in it as well. It was just a night where everything everything went wrong, and I think it's unfortunate for Jurgen Klopp that. You know, you've got sort of two weeks to sort of sift through the wreckage of that. Uh, because, I mean, I know it's a bit of a cliche in football, but when you're on the back end of a defeat, you want to go and put things right straight away. And um, obviously, it puts extra emphasis on this, this the, the, the Merseyside derby coming up against Everton, doesn't it? So many things start going around your head, James, when you see a game like that. You don't see them very often. You you start wondering, what is the specific problem? But, but one of the things that came to me straight away, has there been an indication whatsoever that this was coming. And I have to say, nothing in my mind. I mean, Liverpool, this side that we've all built up to be one of the, the greatest ever sides, I didn't see any sign of this arriving. Did you? No, not when you think that, what was it, six days earlier, Liverpool were rightly being lauded for for producing a you know an unbelievably good performance for, for long sections of that victory over Arsenal. No, and, and you know, and I know people can pick holes in some of the earlier performances, but there was nothing to suggest anything like that was on the cards. I mean, you, you, I think you have to factor in the fact that preparations were far from ideal. With you know, obviously losing Sadio Mane and Thiago to to COVID, and then obviously what happened with Allison hurting his shoulder in training on on Saturday afternoon. Um, you know, those things aren't great when you're preparing for a game. But there's, you know, and I think I thought Klopp handled himself well actually in his 
post-match media duties because you know he, he wasn't interested in looking for excuses. And I think that was right because when you perform that badly and when there are so many things wrong in every single department, it, it would be ridiculous to you know be clutching at straws to to even try to to defend what went on because um, Adrian clearly has been a, you know a lightning rod for a lot of criticism since. And yes, his early blunder set the tone. For what followed, but um, I, I didn't, you know, probably most Salah aside, I didn't think there was another player wearing a Liverpool shirt who could who could genuinely claim that they did themselves any, anywhere near close to justice in that game. And probably the most damning comment for me that Jurgen Klopp came out with was he said Villa wanted it more than us. And um, you know, it's been a long, long time since I've heard Jurgen Klopp question the the desire and commitment of his players. Right, keeper. There's various elements we could look into in detail. Let's start with the keeper James mentioned there. Um, I think there's a few elements of the squad that would concern you if you were talking about depth. But the keeper situation seems to be a worry. Is it a worry that we've only just really cottoned on to? It wasn't really a, a conversation when we were talking a few weeks ago about who should be brought in during this transfer window. Yeah, I mean, that's because of Alisson stays fit. He plays every game, doesn't he? And obviously, Adrian comes in for the, the cup games, which he did against Arsenal. And you wouldn't really have expected to see him again until, you know, the FA Cup. But here we are, you know, such an unfortunate injury to Alisson. And so Adrian has to step in. And, you know, he did struggle in the game as soon as he'd sort of made that mistake. But then, you know, I think, like James said, it, you know, a lot of the focus was on blaming him for the performance but there's you know 10 other players on the pitch and you know if you look at that first mistake it, the ball was played into him from Andy Robertson you know he, he's not Allison. he's not going to be able to collect the ball and you know just dish it out like Allison does because he's not that world-class goalkeeper that, that Allison is so you know fair to Robertson you you would kind of forget sometimes that you know you're not playing the ball back to your your world number one there um, and to Adrian so the ball probably came in at him a bit quick and then obviously I think it was Alexander-Arnold was it or Gomez their position and I think it was probably Gomez the position and wasn't great and obviously the pass was a bit stiff and it just you know as James said that set the tone then and you know, you kind of do feel for him a, a little bit in terms of like Simon mentioned you know there was three deflected goals and Liverpool didn't concede any deflected goals last season from deflected shots so we, he was unlucky and would would have Alisson got closer to them maybe but something that Liverpool couldn't control and you know I think there was yesterday wasn't it to sort of make a move if, they re, if Jürgen Klopp was really thinking that Liverpool needed someone else in he obviously hasn't done that so Adrian's Liverpool's goalkeeper for the next four to six weeks and I think the fans have just got to get behind him and you know there will be a, a lot of work now we know obviously he doesn't go away for international duty so he'll have time to work with him but he won't have time to work with the other players I think you know they get back is it the Thursday possibly before the the derby which is the early kickoff on the Saturday and you know that'll probably worry Jurgen Klopp a little bit in terms of he won't have you know those hours to troll through that footage. I mean, I struggled to do that myself. You know, watching those goals back, it was a difficult watch. But after doing it a few times, you know, you kind of just see that you know it was unfortunate. And I think it, it's probably unfair to blame Adrian. And as I said, you know, you, the fans have got to get behind him because he's he's Liverpool's goal number one goalkeeper now with that uh, Allison out. So. You know, there's, I think there's a lot to take from that performance in terms of, you know, it is a complete anomaly. I wouldn't worry too much about it in terms of it's going to affect Liverpool's whole season. I think it'd be it'd be quite Liverpool now to just go undefeated forever, wouldn't it? So let's, let's not worry too much. 
side Jurgen Klopp's obviously happy with Adrian we saw loads of him last season I don't remember sort of intense scrutiny on him he was a hero in the Super Cup and again I'll just say what I said with Kiever a few weeks ago when we were talking about needs for this side the keeper situation didn't arise are you comfortable with him? <laughs> um, no <laughs> I mean I think context is needed isn't it because very rarely at a football club, even you know one of the you know the, the big elite football clubs in European football, do you get two international standard goalkeepers competing against each other? I can't think of too many places where that has happened. So, to some extent, there's, there's got to be a, a degree of acceptance that that when Adrian comes in, he's not going to be quite as good as Allison. I mean, I know last season. He, he, he featured in that run at the start of the season. I actually thought he made a big contribution towards the momentum that Liverpool got into the early stages of last season uh, when they were winning games by sort of narrow margins. And he did make some big saves, but he also did make some mistakes in that period. And um, Liverpool weren't punished for them in terms of the scoreline. I remember obviously one of the first, the earlier games at, at Southampton after he'd been the hero in, the, in Istanbul a couple of nights before. He's obviously... Had a bit of a howler there, and there was one or two other errors where you know the ball's bouncing off him, and Liverpool didn't get punished. So, yeah, I mean, I just, I just sort of think, well, who are Liverpool going to be able to get in? That's going to, that's going to come in and straight away correct the the absence of somebody who, as Kiva says, is 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 arguably the, the the best goalkeeper in world football, if not one of the top three at the moment. The problem for me in the first couple of games has been further up the pitch. I think Salah and Mane have been on it, but I don't think Firmino has quite been to the levels that he's reached before. I don't know whether he looks a bit a little bit tired or, or what, but yeah, I, I know he set up one of Salah's goals at Villa, but it, it, I just think the ball is bouncing off him a lot. So I think that that's a bit of something that he needs to sort of make sure that he gets back into, into form because when he plays well, the whole team tends to play well. So... That's something that I think um, the Klopp will be aware of because he, he obviously he took him off of Villa as well, didn't he? He was one of the one of the three substitutions, so it's clearly something that he he is is seen and, and and certainly saw in that game at Villa. For a limited time only, we're offering you the chance to subscribe to the Athletic for just a pound a month. You can read all of the great writing on Liverpool and so much more, including Michael Cox's article analysing how the team have already conceded 11 in just four games this season. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod to sign up. That's theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod and sign up for just one pound a month. Right, let, let's talk high lines. It's been analysed again and again after this game because Liverpool have been accused of playing a, a dicey game with it, with the way they construct their high line, James, gambling. Um, Ollie Watkins admitted in his post-match interview that Villa had spent time on trying to work that out in training and it clearly did work. Yeah, it did. But I think, and you, you know, you have to get the balance right, don't you? I think... Klopp and Virgil van Dijk afterwards were very complimentary of the way that Villa played and you have to give them credit for just how well they executed their game plan and um, you, you could see how much they'd worked on it in terms of time in those runs from deep um, but you know they, the, the, the Liverpool still massively played into their hands I mean if it was if it was that easy to exploit Liverpool's high defensive line that they'd have finished mid-table last season rather than with won the title by 18 points because they they haven't just suddenly started playing that way you know that that is the brand of football it's high risk 
high reward you you know you 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 basically force the force the game into as as small an area area of the pitch as possible um and put pressure on the ball hang on a minute <laughs> James, I've got to say, I thought the dog was making some more pertinent and points to me, to be fair. Right, sorry about that, I'm back. Not the first time Liverpool have been accused of playing a bit of a dicey game, James. No, I mean, there was a lot of talk, wasn't there, after... Uh, and on the back of it in terms of Liverpool's high defensive line and it's a high risk high reward um brand of football that that Klopp employs and with that with that style of defending so high up and effectively squeezing the play into a, sh- a smaller period of the pitch as possible um to give you the best possible chance of, of winning it back high up the pitch in in dangerous areas but um you know it, it relies on two big things one is defensive organization which was massively conspicuous by its absence at Villa Park and it also relies heavily on on people shutting down space and putting pressure on the ball and that that just never happened and for me that was the biggest problem on the night you know how many times did Villa players have so much time on the ball to look up pick the pass it was just far too easy so that was the major major issue for Liverpool on the night. Si it looks like Liverpool are playing even higher than they were it's is that a tactical thing as the manager pushed them another five, ten yards forward? Well, I remember at the start of last season, obviously with VAR coming in, they, they, they tried it, didn't they? Um, I remember in the in the Super Cup final, actually, against Chelsea, they were ridiculously high, weren't they? They were pretty much on the halfway line when the ball was only 10, 15 yards in front of them at times. And, um, you know, obviously, they, I sort of wrote about it at the time and it, it felt like they were testing the technology really and, and make, putting faith in the technology um i can't really put my finger on why why they've why they've started to do that again i, I suppose you know you, you look at the villa game in, in isolation they've got a center forward who's sort of very athletic and very physical good in the air good around the box um so they're probably trying to keep the ball away from the box as much as possible but obviously it didn't work did it um I mean, as James says, it has. I mean, I think James and Graham Sooner said in the after the game that um, you know it has worked for Liverpool on occasion, but for that to work, if if one person doesn't do the job, it's going to be very. It, it, the results can be catastrophic, and particularly if two or three didn't do the job properly, um, as I'm sure Jurgen Klopp will recognise further up the pitch, it obviously has has even graver consequences. So. I mean that coupled with you know some some performances at the back, which which obviously went up to up to mark. I mean Joe Gomez had a very difficult evening. I don't think Virgil Van Dijk was quite himself. You know Andy Robertson was good going forward. I thought in the first half. You know I thought Liverpool looked like they might score every time they went down that left. But again defensively, not great. Trent uh, had, a, had a had a tough evening against Jack Grealish. Who I think the manager said afterwards didn't he that. Grealish's performance was was excellent, which it was. I think I think he's a really good player. Grealish, I'm surprised that one of the one of the sort of the top three or four clubs haven't gone for him because he always does something when when I when I see him. But um, so it was it was everywhere everywhere across the pitch as, as James and, and Kiva have both alluded to. I think there was only Salah who can come come out of it with with any credit. Really, he he seemed like he was he was on it. You know, the, there's arguments to say every other player on the pitch 
wasn't <laughs> and when that happens at Premier League level you're going you're to find yourself in trouble I mean I, 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 I felt last season Villa I mean I, I was quite surprised when they, they, they sort of struggled and, and just narrowly avoided relegation because as we know as we discussed before you know about Villa's performance at Villa Park against Liverpool last season I saw them on quite a few occasions and you know they're big powerful sides I know they've, 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 they've done quite a lot of work in the transfer market this window but you know, I think they are a very good side, and I think some teams will probably not get beat seven two by them. But I think I think they're going to cause problems for quite a few teams this season. So, I think it's something that Liverpool are going to have to look at the high line because clearly other teams are going to take encouragement from that. You know, it, it wasn't like it wasn't like just people saying well it was simple balls over the top. There were sort of these cross field passes which they weren't able to cut out and. You know, all the managers will be looking at that and trying to figure out how how the how the how the sort of how the attack Liverpool. Be interested to see with Everton as, as well, of course. Who've I think over the last few seasons, when Ancelotti's been a Napoli manager or, or Everton manager, he's gone very defensive against Liverpool. Other than the game, the first game in Naples, every other game he's tried to contain Liverpool. So that might give him a bit of encouragement that they can go and attack Liverpool, particularly with the you know with the with the four players that they've got who are on form at the moment. Yeah, opposition teams with, with pace are probably going to use a video of this one, see where you can expose uh, some flaws. But I suppose it does rely on the defenders having a bad game, the, the midfield being out-muscled. I mean, Gini Wijnaldum, Fabinho, Naby Keita, overrun, out-thought, simply didn't do a job, did they, Kiva? Did they play? Because I can't remember seeing them on the pitch. Like, that's how bad of a performance it was. You know, you can't really remember um, Keita, Fabinho or Wijnaldum doing much in the game. Um when Fabinho comes to, to centre-half, you know, I feel like Liverpool sort of looked a bit better and that move should have probably happened sooner. Um, you know, Joe Gomez is a brilliant player, but, you know, I think Klopp should have made that decision a bit quicker. He wasn't having his best game and he should have been hooked. But, um, you know, I think it's a kind of game which I would have liked to have seen. I know Henderson didn't get off the bench, but a Henderson or a Milner earlier, I know Milner got on, just to, you know, you saw Milner's block late on and that late challenge and it was like, that's what he would have brought, you know, that sort of, right lads, come on, pick up the pacey. And it felt like there wasn't a leader on the pitch to do that. Um, you know, obviously Van Dyke was the captain, but it just felt like, you know, Liverpool for so long have had a team of captains almost and there was just, there wasn't one on the pitch the other night. And, you know, I think that that's what fans will be most disappointed about. But I think sometimes, you know, performances like this, are almost a good thing in a way because then everyone's now going to be thinking, well, that's how we play against Liverpool and Liverpool are going to, going to fix that, you know, as much as they can. And also, like James mentioned, you know, they did win the Premier League by playing this exact way. So, you know, I don't, I don't think many sides will continue to cause them a little bit of problems as, as Villa did, but it, it is a sort of worrying, sort of niggling thing in the back of your mind before every game could it be a Villa game. But obviously Liverpool can just put put an end to that straight away with a, a rock solid performance against Everton, particular Adrian, you know, what would a clean sheet do for his confidence then for the, the six weeks he's going to be sort of in charge. Um, I think as well with the high line, just to mention it, it, you know, what Liverpool's strength has been for so long is Andy Robertson and Alexander-Arnold getting forward. Now, you know, when they don't get back, it does sort of leave those gaping holes but usually you know they're quick enough to get back and Van Dijk and Gomez or whoever's playing will cover them but it just felt like the midfielders weren't dropping in to sort of cover that like they were stunned they looked stunned as footballers and that's just not what we're used to seeing from Liverpool players A couple of fundamental absentees we mentioned Adrian Jordan Henderson obviously 
Sadio Mane, perhaps the biggest of them. We're not said too much about his absence from the game. Um, Patrice Ever afterwards on on Sky, he, he was saying, "No Mane, no party, James." And in his summation, he was he was talking about the, the aggressiveness that's needed that he does provide. Yeah, uh, undoubtedly a, a a big big miss on the night. I think you know we've we've said before, haven't we, just how much he's he's grown in stature over the last couple of seasons to. To the point where you know he's rightly discussed alongside probably Van Dijk and, and Mo Salah as Liverpool's most influential performer. And um, you know, from when I did that chat with Andy Robertson the other week, you know, he was singing his praises not only in terms of what he gives Liverpool in terms of attacking wise in the final third, but the, that bite and, and energy and work rate. And you know, there's no doubt that was a that was a factor, but yeah, it's. I think it is important to look at the bigger picture and appreciate that was Liverpool. You know, without Allison, without Mane, without Thiago, without Henderson. Um, of course, Joel Matip will come back into contention soon. There's Alex Oxlade Chamberlain as well. So, you know, it's, it, it wasn't good enough by any stretch of the imagination. It was. It was humiliating. It was. You know, I was. I don't think I've ever been in contact with Liverpool's club historian Jed Ray so many times in such a short period of time trying to find out what record has been broken now in terms of you know, having to, he was having to dip back into 1963 for the last time that, that Liverpool had shipped seven. So um, yeah, the, the absentees don't excuse the, the paucity of that performance. But I think what the absentees do do is they, you know, they, they do reassure you that um, I, I don't think we'll see anything like that again. Did, did it baffle you, James, that they simply didn't consolidate at a, a certain scoreline for a 5-1, Ch- change the plan? Um, not really. Do you, I mean, do, do you know, as stupid as it sounds now, at 5-2, I actually fancied Liverpool to still get something out of it because because I just thought they've been that bad for an hour. There's still time here. They, they you know every time Liverpool went forward, they they did look like making something happen. You know, it was they actually looked probably at their most vulnerable when an attacking move broke down, a chance was missed, and then suddenly, you know, off the ball they were absolutely awful. But no, I mean, I, no, because I, I think I just don't think, you know, I don't, I don't think Liverpool there's the mindset there that you know you just avoid any further humiliation and get out of there. I think. I think it was in it's in their nature to 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 keep going and trying to be positive. It was the the problem was I I just think there was so much wrong on the night that you know and, and clearly Klopp didn't feel as if that Jordan Henderson was fully fit. Otherwise, he would have been out there. And you know, as Kiva said, I think a lack of leadership on the pitch was definitely a factor because they did look rudderless. Even Klopp himself said the body language was so bad. And and again, you know that I, I can't remember the last time we said that. You know, this is. Klopp describes them as mentality monsters. You know, usually in the face of adversity, they they roll their sleeves up and fight. But that it just didn't happen. But no, I, w- I wasn't surprised really that he didn't. Ch- I, don't, I just don't think. I think I, I just don't think he could really have have changed much because you know I, th- I think if he if he'd taken off everyone that wasn't doing what they were asked to do, um, he'd, he'd have probably needed ten substitutions. <laughs> well, the manager's there to be celebrated when things are going good, isn't he? I think part of the bigger picture here is that, that, that Jurgen Klopp simply won't allow that sort of performance again, Si. He's, he's not going to accept it. If there's players at the heart of that or significant drop-offs from individuals, he's going to address it. Yeah, well, I was thinking about this after the game, about how you know psychologically, when you, when you lose heavily, it does sort of obviously shake your confidence. I mean, obviously Liverpool... Two, three seasons ago, lost to to City heavily, and then lost to Spurs heavily. But they didn't concede seven. 
you know, I think it's a big challenge for him, to be honest, because I think when you concede that number of goals to a team that you certainly don't expect to be conceding that number of goals to, it does shake your confidence a bit. You know, it sort of chips away at the aura of Liverpool. It's not just how Liverpool feel about themselves, but how other teams feel about Liverpool as well, as I mentioned earlier. So that's going to give other teams... It's a result that gives other teams encouragement that they can they can do something against Liverpool and it's going to check Liverpool. It's going to test them to see, you know, just how, how resilient they are in terms of... The, you, know, you know, it's a big, big test for them, I think, mentally over the next... Couple of weeks, uh, particularly if the you know the, the you know it's not beyond the realms of possibility with all the goals flying in, in the Premier League that they find themselves a couple of goals behind in another game. You know, is there going to be the same sort of capitulation? Will will they remember that? As everybody said, you know, you would expect not because this has at the moment is is an anomaly, and Liverpool haven't played like that before under Jurgen Klopp. Really, they've had bad performances, but you know, never never conceded that the weight of goals. So. I just think you know it's 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 a it's a test for them and you know they're going to have to face up to that. You know I think I think the you know Liverpool have dished out plenty of hammerings over the last couple of years and you know the fans have have obviously been able to ride the the wave of of optimism that that creates. But you know this is this is a test for for the fans as well now because I think um, you know the next time that they fall behind, I realize, I realize obviously you know games aren't games aren't won and lost on social media as, as actual game of football is going on, but it's it's the reaction and the the sort of the the, the negative projection projection that's sent towards the players as well. I mean we discussed it last week about how you know Nico Williams is having to deal with with the, his only interaction with fans at the moment is, is through social media, and you know that the, the, there was an overwhelming response of shock after after Sunday. So there's all these things that are at play at the moment, and you know Jurgen Klopp's going to have to work hard, I think, to, to to sort of to ensure that the players remain sort of as confident as they have been before. Because I mean, I, everybody's played football before. I know when you know I've lost heavily in a game, you sort of do question yourself, don't you? And, Liverpool's order of invincibility, I wouldn't say it's been shattered altogether, but it's certainly been checked. Um, the, the only one thing that it adds is, you know, that there have been some mad results across Europe. I know obviously people talk about Bayern Munich as, as one of the great teams to win the Champions League, and I think they, they got a bit of a beating a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, it is it is, it is happening. It's not just, hasn't just been Liverpool, it's happened to Manchester City, you know, Spurs obviously had a bad start to the season, you know, Man United have had a bad start to the season, Barcelona have been hammered recently, it does happen in football. This is the Red Agenda. I'm Steve Hover. Saul Simon Hughes, James Pierce, and Kiva O'Neill are guests today. And um, Kiva, has it changed the bigger picture, this result against Villa, in terms of what people expected from Liverpool this season? A lot of people thinking Liverpool would simply cruise to a Premier League title. Is, it, is this as clear a warning as you're going to get that it's not so straightforward, this campaign? I think we got the warning in the Leeds game, didn't we? Uh, pretty much. And then, you know, two brilliant performances against Chelsea and Arsenal sort of, you know, put that away. And now this has been brought back out the box almost as, you know, can Liverpool cruise anymore? But, you know, I think, you know, they've got a massive test coming up now against Everton and it couldn't be really at a better time and a worse time. And, you know, it's, you know, they're obviously top of the league that, you know, they've got some really, brought some really good players in. They're playing good football under Carlo Ancelotti. Calvert-Lewin scored and, you know, two or three a game, if if it feels like, and um, they're in such a good place, and that that makes this an even more important time for Liverpool because you know a win there, and then the the back on track. I think twelve twelve points. Um, you know, we know that it's going to be sort of as Simon alluded to. There, it's going to be a crazy season. You did feel that it wasn't 
maybe the days now, I think Jamie Carragher said it himself, didn't he, on, on Sky, the, the days of Liverpool, Man City getting 90-odd points a season, they it might not quite work like that. The, you know, there's the, the lack of pre-season and then obviously there's, there's no fans, which just makes it like a, a different sport, I feel, you know, would... Would Aston Villa have won by that margin? Um, you know, they were all sort of tweeting after it, you know, would have loved the fans to be there. I don't think they'd probably win the game that comfortably with the fans there. You know, I just think, you know, Liverpool's away end. And I just, I don't think a lot of, if we played all these games again, obviously we know the results would be different, but I do feel like the fans have a big say um, in terms of just helping the players and sort of, you know, giving them that voice and that sort of, we're behind you. You know, from what we've taken from, Leicester beating Man City and then Leicester getting beat 3-0 by, was it West Ham? It's I think it's going to be week to week. Teams will be putting in, like Aston Villa could get beaten their next game and everyone will then be thinking, and it, that wouldn't surprise me because it just feels like it's going to be a topsy-turvy season. The the conversation about the points total to win the league's an interesting one. Jamie Carragher interestingly said he'd like it to be mid eighties to make a a more competitive Premier League season. I was I was sat there thinking, well, I'm I'm sure you just want Liverpool to run away with it, but is the is the wider feeling, James, that actually it's better for the Premier League for the game if it, if the winners somewhere around eighty five points? Yeah, I, I guess so. If you're looking at it from a perspective as if you're a neutral and a and a fan of the of the Premier League in general, but um, I, I just think that's more realistic this season anyway. I think you know the last few years have been you know, extraordinary, haven't they? In terms of the the points totals, you know, Man City set the bar so ridiculously high, you know, and Liverpool have done unbelievably well to you know to to, to follow up getting 97 points, with then getting 99. I just think everything, all the factors around this season with the games being a shorter spell and you know with players you know we've seen it already with Liverpool now where they've lost what three players to Covid in the space of a week I just don't think someone is going to get close to 100 points this time around and you know I think you do need to take a step back and think well do you know what as we you know as we sit here today Liverpool are five points better off than Man City you know it was a painful one at the weekend but you've got to keep it in perspective. There's been some bonkers results across the board. Man City got more by Leicester at home. Man United humbled by Spurs. The Liverpool result. Uh, Leicester lose to West Ham. They just keep coming, Si. What is the reason? Can you put your finger on it? Is it a lack of crowd? Is it, I don't know, are things levelled up in terms of playing away for teams? Is there something obvious that we're all missing? The strange, The strange thing is... In the championship, obviously, and, and in other leagues, we're not seeing that sort of upturn in the number of goals. It just seems to be the Premier League at the moment. It could be, you know, that the sort of managers are trying slightly different things again with it. I mean, there's been certain rule changes that have happened over the summer, which again, sort of, I think managers who are sort of at the head of the game always try and try and sort of test them out, particularly early in the season. I, I, I felt on, on, on Sunday... You know, there's just little moments that make you think. Well, obviously, with a without a crowd, the game is is a is a different sport. I mean, I, I've got to be straight with on this issue, and I, I I sort of felt like this even before certainly the result on on Sunday night. That I'm not particularly in, enjoying watching all the games on on TV. You know, night after night after night. I, I really miss. 
being inside the stadium it's it's not it's just not the same you know i think i think i tend to get angry at watching football on tv but i actually care less if that makes sense because within a couple of minutes you're doing something else in the house you're not necessarily thinking about the football so much it's just um it's become more of an entertainment really so i was watching obviously the game on sunday and I, I thought it was pretty noticeable. It's just little things when, for example, the first goal, uh, Joe Gomez, everybody sort of analysing what happens with the, with the back pass and, and Joe Gomez's reaction. And I think sometimes, you know, with a crowd, you know, defenders can sense that, that there's pressure on them a bit more because, you know, they can hear the crowd getting a bit louder when, when an opportunity comes and the, the, there's a player trying to put them under pressure. That, that, that provokes a reaction. So I'm... It, uh, they're having a more difficult time sort of getting onto the warning signs a little bit I, th- I think sometimes again this is it's very difficult to pin down and say well this is the reason why there's more goals flying and I think there's there's lots of d- different reasons contributing factors you know I think I think uh, despite the goals flying and I wouldn't say the football you know in all the games has been as sharp as as, 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 as aggressive all the time because the players, certainly some of Liverpool's players, I don't, I don't think they, they seem quite up to speed with it yet. I know obviously they've had three really, three good wins. But even even in the Chelsea game, you could argue that obviously they played half of the game with with an extra man against Arsenal. I thought that was that was as close as you're going to get to sort of a live match performance where you've got a, a crowd in. It felt like Liverpool were really on it that night. But I, I, I just feel it at the moment that there's, that there's. The game is it's a different it's a different game that you know the, the players aren't used to playing without crowds. I mean, I, I spoke to some some players this week who were playing in the lower leagues, and they're saying that it it just isn't the same. That it, 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 it's sort of your attention and your focus. Admitting you know that your focus isn't quite as sharp because because it's it's quite quiet around. Yeah, I'm, I'm, even though like players do talk on, on Premier League pitches, you only got one or two players who are constantly barking out instructions. And it's not like the loud game that it used to be where you had three or four players constantly, you know, sort of telling you what, what's going on. So I think there's a, an, there's, there's a need for, for, for players to probably speak a little bit more and communicate even the most basic, the basic facts of a game when, when, some, when there's danger just around the corner. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's been it's been a bit odd, I think, and I, I think it'll continue as well because you've got that coupled with the, as I said, the technological changes and the rule changes. I think it's contributing towards more goals flying in. It makes a Merseyside derby very interesting. Regular listeners to this pod will have heard James um, nearly knock over his coffee last week when I asked him whether Everton could uh, could challenge near the top. Um, they've continued their winning streak, James. So we're going to the derby with Everton top of the league. Um, look, is the natural order going to be upset by a couple of teams? It, would Everton be one of those? And are you actually fearful at all with this derby? <laughs> um, you know, I think they've got a, a definite chance of forcing their way into the top four. I, I still, I still don't see them as, uh, you know, it, 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 I don't see them as potential title rivals to Liverpool. But as we said last week, I think in a in a one-off game with with the way that they're playing, you know, they they bought very well. I think you'd have to say that in terms of you know we've seen the Ancelotti factor this summer, um, them being able to attract players that I don't think you know with with a 
certainly under the previous manager, they wouldn't have been able to to get in. And he's he's got them playing. So um, yeah, probably the first time in a long, long time where you go into a derby with a, with a with, I'd say a, you know a, a slight sense of trepidation, just mainly because of what happened at, at Villa Park. I think in terms of not really being too sure how Liverpool will, will respond to it. I think it it certainly doesn't do Liverpool any favours the, the scheduling of the derby. You know, being a Saturday lunchtime kickoff because. Um, you know, I was looking at the the international fixtures, and you know, England, Scotland, Netherlands all play on that Wednesday night. So, Klopp isn't getting the players all back together at Melwood till probably the afternoon on the Thursday. And you know, for a lot of those players, Thursday be a recovery day, having played the night before. So, what does that give him Friday? And then, and then you're walking out at Goodison uh, lunchtime on Saturday. So, um, far from ideal. You know, and you know, I, I think Klopp would have. You know, he would have absolutely given anything, I think, to have been able to get those players in the meeting room at Melwood on on Monday morning, gone through, gone through the tape, gone through exactly, you know, um, all the analysis, get that out of the way, and then get back on the training field and put it behind them. But he he can't, you know, he has they have to all stew on it for for ten days. And it was interesting him talking about how self-critical the group are and how nobody was pointing fingers in the dressing room and that everyone took collective responsibility for what happened and that's going to be crucial for Liverpool going into the derby because there's so little that Klopp can really change himself. You know, it's the emphasis is on these players to to look in the mirror and admit their own failings on the weekend and and come out swinging at Goodison because it'll be, you know, they've got a very, very proud unbeaten record in this fixture to, to defend. It's, it'll be 10 years to the day since Liverpool last lost a derby. And um, you know, I don't think anyone will ever forget just how bleak that afternoon was under under Roy Hodgson at Goodison. And, um, you know, you, you, you certainly having, having, I think, what is it, 22 derbies unbeaten over that last decade, you, you don't want to give that away. Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from The Athletic, The Next Big Thing. You know, there's nothing better than, I don't think as a fan, to see a lad coming on for his debut. And I love the way they can't even fill the shirt properly. It's an absolutely stunning goal! This season, we'll be drawing on the knowledge of our incredible football writers to give you the ultimate briefing on the stars of tomorrow. You know, people always question, you know, what, what is the plan for these young players? Our experts know these players better than anyone else. That's the thing with him. I mean, when he, he made his debut with the first team, I, I sort of said to him before the game, I have no worry about you. You know, I just, I know... Uh, how confident you are in your own ability, but he hasn't got that overconfidence. It all starts on September the 28th with a full profile of Liverpool's Billy Cometio. Footballers now are getting so much criticism from all sections of society. They can't deal with it from the players they're meant to be playing with. They haven't got much of a chance, really. From what I hear, you know, he's, he's got a big personality and somebody who really believes in himself. That's the next big thing, the latest podcast from The Athletic. This is the Red Agenda. Let's have a look at the um, transfer deadline and the winners and losers from it. First of all, Kiva, how will Liverpool reflect on this window? It, it looks pretty positive, doesn't it? Thiago, uh, Diego Yotta, uh, Costa Simicas, and some players out as well. It, it all looks like it's balanced quite neatly. Yeah, Liverpool fans would have snapped your hands off, I think, for to get Thiago in. And, you know, um, I think that was, that was massive to to get over the line wasn't it with him being linked for for so long it felt like years almost but it, it was months um you know to i think and then his performance at Stamford Bridge you know sort of sealed that like you know he is going to be a brilliant player for Liverpool 
Um, it was important to get another left back in, which is what Liverpool did. And then, you know, obviously get Jotter in, who, you know, did sort of come under the radar, but is someone that's young enough to sort of grow into this Liverpool team and provide that little bit of, you know, competition for, for the front three. Um, so, you know, in terms of incomings, that's really good. And then, you know, Liverpool have made some money as well, which is obviously what you think has been able to fund these these deals. I think they would have liked to have done a bit more business yesterday in terms of outgoings, maybe getting Grewich offsides and, you know, Harry Wilson as well. But, you know, even Chiquiri was, you know, obviously um, a couple of deals sort of looked like they were going to get over the line and then never. But... I think did someone write there's 88 days till the, the next transfer window so we don't have to wait too long um, but you know I think Liverpool fans will be happy I just think obviously the transfer deadline day didn't come at the best time after such a, a poor result because then everyone's quickly wanting a, a new goalkeeper to come in with obviously Alisson's injury and Adrian's performance but you know that I don't think that was ever really going to happen was it um, I do kind of think though you know we've seen some some promising times and the likes of Cometio and Reese Williams, the you know, the young up and coming sort of centre halves, but maybe, you know, more senior centre half would have been something fans would have really got behind just to provide that that competition and backup for Van Dyke Gomez and Matip. I think losing Dejan Lovren, who was, you know, a real leader on and off the pitch, I think, in the dressing room. I think he was you know, we all remember him saying he was he was the best centre half in the world in terms of mentality monsters. He must have been right up there in terms of self belief. And um, so losing a player like that, I do think you know we saw when City lost Vincent Company, and you know that curtailed them. I thought last season, coupled with injuries, and you know seeing how how Allison got injured and is out for six weeks. God forbid if that happened to the likes of Van Dijk, Liverpool's Liverpool season could just go amiss, really, couldn't it? And, you know, a lot of people and pundits have sort of threatened that over the last couple of years. You know, Van Dijk's fitness record's amazing and long may it continue. But, you know, obviously, Alisson had that big, I think it was 11 Premier League games that he missed in a row last season with that early injury. And then um, I think he got a red card, didn't he, and missed a couple. So, you know, it, th- th- those sort of things mount up, don't they? And, you know, what what a big impact those players have, but to miss them can have a, a real damaging effect, I think. But you know, on on the whole, I think in in the you know COVID nineteen sort of pandemic circumstances, I think Liverpool done really well with the business this window. Players out: Kajana Hoover, uh, Dejan Lovren, Adam Lallana, Ovi Ajaria, Nathaniel Klein, and Rianne Brewster. Now, what's the thinking behind this one, Si, on on Brewster? Him to Sheffield United. I think I probably speak for a large proportion of Liverpool fans when I say I'd like to have seen what Brewster could have become at Liverpool. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I know from inside the club for a long time that he was rated very, very highly, you know, even at sort of ownership level. Um, and that was that was felt by Jurgen Klopp as well. But I think, I think the injuries or the injury that he had, which was a bad one, came at a bad moment, really, in the sense that Liverpool, when it, when it happened, Liverpool there were still opportunities in in the Liverpool team in the sense that it probably wasn't quite a world class team then, and it, it is now. Um, and I think he's been obviously he's competing for places in an area of the pitch where you've got you've got you know three three the, the three the three forwards that Liverpool have are arguably in the top ten in the world at the moment, um, aren't they? Um, if not one or two of them in the top three, so. Um, He's, he's competing for a place in the team in an area where the players 
tend not to get injured. I know obviously Mane missed the game the other day, but you know, in terms of injuries, that you know, the, the endurance is 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 pretty impressive, really. Um, and he, he's obviously desperate for games as well. So I, I think it's a bit of a compromise, really. I think I think that they've from what I'm told, like listening, reading James's piece as well last week that. Liverpool have listened to his concerns. You know, I think he does need to play football. I think sitting on the bench and playing even 10 games a season probably isn't going to do him any good at this stage. You look at the sort of players with his level of ability, you know, they, they need to be playing matches. So it's, it's a deal that I can understand sort of the question marks around, but it, for me, it sort of makes sense because obviously they've got a buyback clause in the next three years. You would think if he's going to emerge as one of the sort of the topping or strikers he'll he'll do that in the next three years so it gives Liverpool that sort of security blanket that if he if he turns out to be you know the, the player that everybody thinks he's going to be that they'd probably be able to get him back at some point and um, Sai so, so, how does that work the buyback course um, I mean James is probably better answering that question <laughs> I think he, it, it's, it's inside the next three years isn't it that Liverpool are able to trigger um, I'm not so, how, how much is it, James? How much are they able to to sign him back for? They haven't they haven't revealed that. I mean, I, I've it's been suggested to me it's a, it's between, it's around that thirty five to, to forty million pound mark, and um, yeah, Liverpool would obviously have to have to make that move for him within the next three years. But but also the, the other thing I think important worth mentioning is Brian Brewster would actually want have to agree to it as well. It's not like Liverpool can just bring him back whenever they want in any window in the next three years. You know, he may well, we don't know what's going to happen with him at Sheffield United. He might light the place up, absolutely love it there and, and not want to come back to Liverpool. But I think it, it just gives Liverpool that security, doesn't it? I think, um, you know, ideally, I think Klopp would have kept hold of him. Um, and and probably you know work with him on the training field and try to iron out some of those rough edges because I think it was telling back in the summer when when Brewster scored a few goals in pre-season that Klopp talked about it was you know no one's ever questioned his finishing it's those elements of his game that he needs to work on and um, I think that was why he still found himself you know below Firmino below Minamino in the in the pecking order you know he wanted this deal and. Um, and I just think when you look at the way that Klopp has operated in his five years at Liverpool as well, he, I don't, just don't think it ever really sits right with him keeping hold of someone who is keen to get away. I think even when you go back to that summer when Coutinho was desperate to leave and you know it was that was very much an ownership policy that was that you know Klopp even emphasised that himself that you know the owners had put a statement out to say he will not be sold in this window because you know I think Klopp's attitude has always been you know I, I want 100% focus and dedication and commitment and if you can't give me that then you probably are better off being somewhere else but um, the parting of the ways with Brewster was was definitely amicable you know Klopp absolutely loves the kid I think you know, and and that buyback thing gives the, the clause gives gives Liverpool that kind of in, insurance policy. And you know, I know Klopp spoke to Chris Wilder a few times as well, and and believes that that's a really good place for for Brewster to continue his development in the in the short term at least. Right, let's look wider afield. Si, who who are the winners in this window? Everton look like they've done great business. <laughs> uh, Spurs with Gareth Bale, United with Cavani. Who? D- well, not United. Yeah, not United. I mean, I, I think it's been a. It's a disastrous window for them, you know. It, 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 obviously, there's an there's an article to, in the Athletic today about why they never got Jaden Sancho, who they made their number one target, but seemed to want seem to think that they could bully 
appreciates Orkmans into into selling him for the fee that they wanted. It was just never going to happen. Uh, so they wasted a lot of time on a player that feasibly was never going to sign for United um, and haven't really improved in the areas that they clearly need improving in. So I'd say United are definitely the losers. Um, I think Everton, as James said before, have bought well. I think they, they've they've added top quality at the, the top end of the pitch in Rodriguez. I can understand the, the conversation around him. You know, there's a lot of sort of sceptics saying, well, it's it's been six years since since he really lit lit the lit, lit football up at the World Cup and he's had a difficult time at Real Madrid. You know, he didn't do that well at Bayern Munich. But, he, he, you know, he seems to have hit the ground running there. He's got a manager who believes in him. Uh, and they, they've strengthened... What, what they have done is Everton is, is strengthening the area that they really needed to strengthen in, in the middle of midfield. Um, I think Alan, for me, is a, is a, is a, is a top-quality sign and really who's right at the peak of his game, exactly the sort of player that they need. Um, I mean, I, 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 I have a sneaking feeling that Tottenham are going to come good because <laughs> I think that... Uh, I know that they, they've sort of had to get quite a few deals done late into the window, but um, you know they they, they certainly um, aren't in a weak. I think they're in a more in a stronger position than they were when they finished the season. You know they've got another sort of a few months down the line with Mourinho. I understand the conversation around Mourinho. Is he does he still have it? But you know the signs that that I think Tottenham obviously winning so convincingly at Man United. I think when you've got two top quality strikers in Kane and Son. If you keep those two players fit, you've got half a chance. So for me, yeah, I'd, I'd sort of say those those are the, those are the three clubs where the the sort of the, the most of the conversation will be around. I understand Chelsea as well have spent, spent big, but I just think they've they've actually done too much work in the transfer window. I think it's it's going to take a bit of time for all those players to settle. <laughs> Yeah, fun while it lasted. Will it work? We'll wait and see. Um, let's just finish off the red agenda with a piece that Kiva's written on uh, on Leighton Stewart, an academy prospect. Is he is he more than just that? Kiva dubbed the next young local star. Yeah, I mean you'd hope so. After a, you know my piece was published, he went and scored another hat trick at the weekend. So that that's really helped me out a little bit. Um, but you know. The sort of what I took away from, you know, speaking to the, you know, the under 23s coach, Barry Lutus, he said, you know, he's not too far away from this team, but he does seem almost in a good place with the under 18s in terms of he's scoring goals and, you know, he seems to be, you know, producing great performances, but he played Man City and he failed to score against them. I think that'll be sort of, you know, what he needs to work on this season, scoring against the sort of the teams that Liverpool really want to be competing against at youth level he's he's so promising such a promising young player you don't want to hype them up too much but you know obviously I spoke to a few people just working on the piece and Torres's name did keep coming up I didn't want to mention that but it, it, it was mentioned that many times that I sort of had to you know it was something that I had to mention in the end but obviously you know you don't want to um, I think Neil Meller who, who I spoke to as well said that's something that he should just keep his ears closed and just you know focus on what he needs to do Um which is, you know, what he's been doing all season, scoring goals. Um, you know, he, he signed a new contract for Liverpool, um, well, a couple of contracts earlier this year, the last one coming in July. You know, he's someone that the club are excited about. I think it's just sort of about now him just, you know, keep keep on doing what he's doing in the under-18s. The chances will probably come in the under-23s and then, you know, a couple of seasons doing that, maybe a loan move just to sort of give him that, that little bit of experience away from the city and... Let, let's hope that you know Liverpool have pulled off another another academy lad coming through to the first team. I mean that's what they all hope. It doesn't happen for all of them, but 
I think it was it was good to shine a light on just just one of them, and that's what you know I'll be hoping to do in the coming months. Just sort of, you know, a lot of people comment like we shouldn't hype them up, and we do realise that. But we've also got to bring you these these stories of these young lads who who, who are trying and want to be the, the next Liverpool stars. Fingers crossed for him. That's uh, Leighton Stewart. Great piece by Kiva. Well worth uh, reading on The Athletic right now. Thank you to Kiva, Simon and James. And next week we'll get stuck into a big Merseyside derby preview on the Red Agenda. See you then. 